Welcome to Rental Equip Talk Radio with your host, Donald Charbonnet. This is the radio program designed for industry insiders, as well as anyone interested in getting into the rental equipment industry. Now, here is Donald Charbonnet. How y'all doing today? I'm your host, Donald Charbonnet, broadcasting from New Orleans. How's the world of rental doing today? Are you making the most of your inventory? And are you working with the re-rent arena to help support your fleet? Utilization is important. There's many, many options out there. A big thank you to all our listeners. Tell your friends and associates. Hope you enjoyed last week's show about trust and building trust, as well as what employees value when working with you. And remember, you can always listen on demand after the show. And also, let me know if there's a certain guest or subject you'd like to have in the show, and I'll do my best to get them. And you can always reach me at rentalequiptalkradio at gmail.com, or you can call or text me at 504-615-0540. My guest today is very well known to our industry, Mr. Gary Bartecki. He's been a previous guest on the show, and his specialty is construction equipment, material handling equipment, and rental companies. Gary was an audit partner at BDO and specialized in dealerships, rental and leasing. He was CFO at the Associated Equipment Distributors, that's the AED, and in that capacity, produced a monthly financial column, annual CFO conferences, and the annual cost of doing business survey. He also participated with AED events as a speaker and panelist. He's participated with MHEDA and ARA events as well. He appears in ARA and various other rental publications. Currently, Gary's the CFO of Lionai High Reach, Inc., a top 100 rental company. Other publications, Equipment Today, a monthly column in Material Handling Wholesaler, a monthly column in Rental Product News, an annual state of the industry column. The services provided to rental companies that Gary does includes financial management, company valuations, ownership transition programs, fleet management, use of ESOPs as a planning tool, value enhancement banking relationships, and tax planning. So he's worked with BDO as an audit partner and AED. He's a CFO of Illini High Reach. He's got a BS in finance from Roosevelt University and an MBA from Roosevelt University. Gary, it's great to have you back on the show. Welcome. After listening to that, I'm not sure I got time to do this for the next hour, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll try and make it. We'll, we'll try and make it happen here. Well, so I like to bring some <laughs> smart people to the table. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you uh, called me about yeah, when you called me about doing the show, you know, you asked me uh, if there's anything in the accounting world uh, that people might be interested in hearing about. I know that sounds, when you say accounting world, that makes it, it makes it everybody uh, want to run away, but there are major <laughs> events taking place that are going to uh, impact everybody's business. So I, you know, I, I responded to you by uh, <clears throat> mentioning that uh, you know, the new accounting rules for leases are going to impact uh, rental companies and customers, and new revenue recognition rules, whatever the heck those are, are going to impact rental companies and customers. And there's something out there called Wayfair, which is a state and local tax thing that's going to affect everybody. And uh, bottom line is, you know, what you're looked at in terms of your financial statements from the past, they're going to be different going forward. 
and uh, you know you're going to have to you know adjust to your process and dealing with the bank and do some other things to uh, you know uh, mitigate the the changes that are going to take place. And then we'll get into a couple of these things and talk about them. I'm not going to get into the weeds, but uh, you know you should walk away from this today with at least some thoughts on gee, I got to take a look at some of these things or I got to talk to my accountant and especially about the Wayfair issue uh, because that's a new tax that uh, you probably haven't seen before that's uh, hanging out there. Right. So when you look at, yeah, so when you look at statements now, compare them to later, it's going to be a whole big change. Yeah. So uh, basically the, the theme of today is rental financial reporting in the future, as Gary's just mentioned, and some of the accounting codes are, have changed and are still to change. And Gary, I'd like to kind of start off with the, the concept of uh, acquisition of equipment that rental companies do and uh, your thoughts about uh, what's changing in the in the buy versus lease arena. Well, I think I would, with the uh, lease accounting, uh, that's going to be a major change. So, you know, for a lot of rental companies, they're probably buying their equipment and paying it off on a uh, installment note. Uh, some may be leasing the equipment, and they may be doing that for financial or tax reporting purposes. Uh, but so there's a you know, but the uh, you know the uh, accounting pundits uh, want to get everybody on an even keel, and they want to include any long-term contracts any leases, uh, you know, a number of things that are long-term. They want to compile all of those and put them into account, you know, add them all up and see what they total and wind up putting them on your balance sheet as a liability. So then your total liability... That's what we used to do to avoid that, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, most people lease to avoid that. That's that's correct. So they want to put that on the uh, uh, balance sheet but at the same time, then, to you know, the other side of the equation, the other side of the entry is going to be a right-to-use asset. You know, there's no formal asset involved. It's just an accounting thing, a right-to-use asset that you will be writing down as you pay off the lease, which will reduce your liability and at the same time reduce the uh, right-to-use asset. And what's, uh, what's interesting about this is you know, some of these contracts, if they're capital leases, are going to require discounted cash flow analysis. You're going to have to allocate interest to it, uh, part of the equation. And you may not uh, be able to write that right-to-use asset down to zero like you would if you were you know, writing off the lease and making the payments every month and paying them off and taking a deduction for it. Now you right. get to write down that right-to-use asset pretty much like your depreciation. You write it down to what the residual value or the uh, uh, book value should be at the end of the lease term. Uh, and for operating leases, which are true operating leases, you know, you get to uh, write up that the right to use asset and you get the uh, uh, liability on your books. And all of a sudden, you know, your financial statements, your assets are going to go up, your liabilities are going to go up, your equity is going to change. Well, it may change, it may not change, depending on the interest aspect. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, your debt-to-equity ratios and equations and bank covenants are going to take a uh, tremendous hit. Gary, um, do you think that, that banks will will recognize this? If I have a certain line of credit and suddenly I have all this extra liability that in the past 
And, and what happens if I did something a year or two ago and now the rules have changed in the middle of a lease? Well, you have the, you lose on that one because <laughs> you have to take over. All the, all the current leases that are in effect at the date that you switch over, you have to go ahead and uh, uh, gross them up according to the terms I mentioned previously. So you don't uh, get to hide behind leases that uh, you've already entered, entered into. You have to go ahead and do that. And you know, what's, uh, what's uh, kind of interesting about this thing is some of the stuff that we're talking about is real estate, um, warehouses, repair service centers, equipment, uh, forklifts, manufacturing equipment, your rental equipment, uh, tractors, trailers, rail cars. But the big one is, and this everybody's going to love this, any contract you have that's long-term that has nothing to do with equipment, could be services, could be IT, it could be uh, computers, copiers, uh, cloud hosting arrangements, document storage, food and beverage, cafeteria, laundry. I don't care what it is. If that's a long-term contract, you have to capitalize it and record it that way. Uh, you know, everybody's going to need uh, you know another ten accountants to you know to figure out all this stuff. And not only do you have to figure it out in this first year to make the to the year of the change. Um, you're going to have to do it going forward. And if you go for any new financing, or you're looking for money from a new OEM, or you're looking for you know credit someplace, you know you're going to. They say, give me five years worth of statements. But what are you going to do? Give them four of the old ones and one of the new ones? That's not right. going to work. So you're going to have to go back and redo all your financials that you're going to put into this uh, request for financing or, or credit. So it's going to be uh, really kind of uh, it's going to be kind of scary. It's going to be kind of scary. Uh, Gary, obviously the the OEMs uh, who finance you know so much of our industry's inventory, uh, I mean they can they can have feel it obviously too in the leverage that rental companies used to have when uh, when somebody gets ready to order equipment and then they say you don't qualify. Am I right in saying that? Right. Yep. Well, yeah, most rental companies are leveraged up pretty good to begin with, and uh, um, and a lot of them, you know, we've talked about this at the last show, they over-depreciate their fleets and knock down their equity balance on their balance sheet to begin with, and now you're going to add more debt to it. Uh, you know, your debt-to-equity ratios are going to look terrible when, in fact, you're sitting there with an unrecorded asset that you don't have on your books, which is the actual book value of the fleet in terms of, you know, uh, orderly liquidation value. I always write down my assets to orderly liquidation value, um, and uh, that way the banks know what's there. They know what the value of the fleet is if they have to look at it, and it uh, makes life a lot simpler. So I'm gonna, So there's another good reason, and we talked about the depreciation last time, but there's another good uh, reason to bring it up again to encourage people to take a hard look at how they're depreciating the rental fleet and to write it down to a reasonable number that's close to the orderly liquidation value. And you get that orderly liquidation value from, you know, doing the, uh, getting an appraisal done. I do that once a year. It's not expensive. You give the guy the list and he asks for some other details and he comes back with a, uh, ordered the desktop type appraisal, but at least you got a rough idea if you're in the right track or not for the different lines and models, et cetera, that you have on your books. So it's, uh, it's, 
So, uh, you know, to me, you know, the trick with all of this, with the lease uh, counting is going to, and I'm hearing they might defer it for a year, but I don't think that makes any difference. I would encourage everybody to take a dry run and go through it and uh, do what you have to do. Talk to your accountant. Uh, hopefully they know what you're talking about. If they don't, find somebody else. And then uh, somebody familiar with the rental business, so they understand the equipment and the value, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, do your analysis and come back and see what you get compared to what you have now. And then take a look at your bank loans, look at your covenants, and see which ones are going to be affected. Now, the one that's going to be affected the most is your debt to equity you know, calculation. And once you get over three or four times there, they get kind of nervous. Well, if you're close to, you know, three or four times uh, debt to equity ratio, and now you're going to add on another couple of million bucks on your liability side, uh, that's not going to be pretty. So you got to go talk to the bank because the bank's going to say what they have been saying. Well, we're going to ignore this. And I'm going, yeah, that's you. That's you. That's you. You're my current banker. But what if I go out for credit? What if I go someplace else? What if I want to you know, talk to the OEM? Uh, even if you're looking at selling the company, you're going to put together a set of financials. They're going to have this on there. Because uh, your year-end financials from your auditor, that's, it's, it's going to be on there. So uh, uh, you're going to have to explain it away. Uh, but at the same time, if you're totally underwater in terms of debt payments, that's going to be a major problem for people. If you could distinguish for a moment uh, a street rental company versus a dealership that rents equipment. I know one dealership that I work for did a percentage of depreciation every time that it rented. It would take a a piece of the revenue. Is that going to change for them? They're going to have to go straight line or how is that going to work? Well, I think that's... uh that's in the next section, the revenue recognition. That's where that's okay. going to come up. Okay. Um, and that's, uh, but it's, you know, it's a great uh, question. So if I'm looking at a rental company in terms of the leasing, uh, I'm thinking that uh, they don't have, you know, they've got their current fleets. They got those fleets financed. They're probably, you know, probably 50% paid off. Um, so no issues there. Uh, so they're renting maybe trucks, they're renting vehicles, uh, they're renting, uh, you know, the uh, computer materials. So compared to their total debt associated with the fleet, um, the rest of this should be that major, I hope, and uh, shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have much impact. So go ahead. I'm sorry. The other thing, yeah, yeah. The other thing is, is that. Uh, the leases that are less than 12 months don't qualify for the accounting, for the new accounting rules. So okay. no matter what you're doing out there, uh, I know I mean, it just me personally, anytime I talk to anybody about a lease now, it's got to be less than 12 months. Uh, it has uh, no options on it. It has nothing. It's just a straight deal. I can turn it back at the end of 12 months. I'm not making any assumptions or any discussion about I'm going to buy it at the end of the uh, 12 months. Uh, you're not going to see that in any of the paperwork, nothing. I may, in fact, go ahead and do that, but it's going to be a standalone decision that's got nothing to do with the original lease contract. Uh, so the rental companies, most of their, most of their uh, equipment that they rent out is probably going to be for less than 12 months. 
and uh, you know, if, and there's ways to you know, this gets a little complex, but uh, you know, there's ways to avoid. You know, so I'm renting on my uh, certain type and model of machine. Uh, maybe I can replace it with another one if I get close to 12 months, or maybe it's a different model, or it's a new contract, or something to that effect. There's probably some ways to work that, but you got to dig into the details and uh, see what you can get away with. Now, so, all that being said, if those types of transactions aren't material to your company in terms of the volume and dollars involved, well, then you know you're not going to have to consider them anyhow. But uh, okay. if you're doing your normal dailies, weeklies, and monthly rentals, uh, it shouldn't be an issue for you, and it shouldn't be an issue for your customer because most of the contracts are less than uh, less than uh, twelve months. Now, dealers, on the other hand, it's a whole different story. Yeah, they've got their short-term rental fleets, and the same thing applies to those units as, you know, we just discussed with the rental company units. But they also have, you know, rental contracts, 60-month rental contracts with maintenance. They have uh, rental purchase agreements. They have all kinds of neat things that are mostly over 12 months and maybe uh, out to 60 months. And uh, and the other thing uh, about this is uh, that's going to create havoc is that the rental contracts, now you can separate the rental of the equipment from the maintenance contract. And guess what? You, can, you have to capitalize the rental equipment part of it, but you don't have to capitalize the service contract. So in a lot of these deals, the customer doesn't really know what the heck he's paying for, you know, the service versus the equipment. So now all of a sudden, it's going to be pretty transparent because if the customer is sharp on this, he's going to say, you got to break that out for me because I want to continue to write off the maintenance part of it, and I don't want to have to capitalize that as an additional liability. And that might that maintenance portion may be as much as the payment for the uh, for the unit. So... Uh, you know, it's going to be a big deal from the customer standpoint, especially if they have a lot of units on rent. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, it's going to make it transparent. And so people are going to see how much they're paying for maintenance. Uh, people right. are going to be able to see, gee, how, how much, how often does that service guy show up and how many hours does he spend here? And, uh, you know, what kind of work is he doing? And pretty soon it's going to create all kinds of problems. Yeah. And it's going to open the doors for competitors to come in and uh, uh, be very competitive on pricing uh, their rental contracts. Yeah. And Gary, in the, fun, in the right? area of, of uh, rev- revenue recognition in particular, uh, there's a subject of, of matching revenue to cost and also pre-bill and post-bill the way people do it. Can you comment on that, please? Yeah, the uh, the revenue recognition is you know, matching and it really uh, comes into effect with uh, contractors. It's it's a big part of it because what they're trying to do is match not uh, not just match it up in total, but match it up by portions of the contract. As the portion is the contract, the uh, portions of the contract are completed. Uh, then the billing that's uh, related to that should be billed at that time. So you know a lot of people pre-bill. And, uh, and uh, you know, that, uh, the contractors, and uh, therefore they're sitting with a lot of uh, unearned revenue, so to speak, and uh, the, the job's not finished yet, and you've got liabilities on your books, you know, because uh, 
uh, you got work to do and you haven't been paid for it, so it gets to be pretty complex. But um, uh, in terms of the rental companies, when you're looking at revenue recognition, uh, to me, I'm sitting there trying to figure out, gee, what can we talk about there? And uh, it's uh, it's uh, the pre-bill versus the post-bill. Um, so I could see somebody, the auditor, coming in and going, uh, well, let's see, how are we doing with this? Uh, this contract's going out on the 15th. It's going to go out and it's going to stay out until the 15th of the following month. And uh, how are you going to bill this? And you say, well, I'm going to give them a bill today on day one, and it's going to cover the full month, half this month and half next month. And the auditor's going to go, well, if you do this a lot, uh, we may have a re- revenue recognition problem. So he's going to say, you don't want to do that. You want to maybe pick up the revenue as it's earned, because I know I, I, I use a report uh, that, uh, you know, like I have a contract daily, weekly, monthly that uh, calculates the earned portion every day and it picks it up. Uh, so I'm not going to have an issue on revenue recognition. And I post bill it. You know, whatever it converts to, if the daily converts to a weekly or converts to a month and the weekly converts to a monthly, I will bill that once that uh, monthly rental is earned. Um, so I should uh, be in pretty good shape when they ask me about renting uh, equipment. Uh, but on the other hand, people that are pre-billing and issuing credits afterwards really have the ability to manipulate their revenue for a certain period. And I think they'll be looking, uh, you know, pretty hard at that. Um, other than that, on the rental company side, um, uh, the other thing would be the percentage rent. Uh, you mentioned that before, uh, where they right. take 80% of the rental revenue and uh, use it as depreciation. Right. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, they could come in and say, well, you know, you're not depreciating it enough. I had a machine sitting there for three years, and it's still sitting there at original cost, when we all know it's worth less than that. Uh, so that's uh, that's going to be a uh, issue, too. And, again, if you got people that really know the rental business doing your audits, they'll, they'll bring it up. And if you got people that don't know the rental business, they may or may not. And I know a what lot of people that yeah. are fairly fairly good sized companies that use percentage rent, uh, and they're dealers primarily, but uh, not not pure rental companies. But uh, for the equipment they rent, they use percentage rent, and uh, nobody says boo. But right. uh, that's that, are, that's not allowable for tax purposes either. So <laughs> it's a, it's a problem. And Gary, what what about re-rent transactions? There's a lot of re-renting going on in the industry today, as you well know. Is anything uh, radical change there? Well, again, you know, it's 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 um, depends. You know, you're talking uh, re-rent uh, for an individual transaction. That's a daily, weekly, or monthly. That's one thing. If you're talking for a re-rent, or you, you know, perhaps have twenty or thirty machines on rent from somebody that you're going to keep in the fleet for the whole year, or maybe longer, maybe twelve, eighteen months, then you might have a. Uh, an issue to make sure that because uh, um, what you're going to wind up doing is uh, it's going to it's going to work the opposite of what they're thinking. It's going to you're going to wind up with expenses being incurred for the re-rent. You're going to accrue those on a monthly basis, and then you're going to have rentals associated with that same period. And 
you know, so to begin with, you may wind up with expenses in excess of the uh, of the revenues. Uh, but then going forward, you may have revenues, uh, um, you know, hopefully revenues in excess of what you're paying on the re-rent fee. So that that's normally, uh, you know, I mean, those long-term re-rents, that's going to be uh, primarily almost like a fixed contract price uh, for the period. So you're going to incur uh, a dollar every time, you know, every month to uh, to rent it. And you may not rent it at all, but you're still going to have to pay the dollar for the rest of the period. So that's going to fall, fall kind of more into the, the leasing uh, change. Uh, if it's a, you know less than a 12-month uh, rental, then it's going to be okay. If it's, it runs uh, two or three years where you're doing that, like uh, you know some of the manufacturers were doing you know some years back, uh, doing the RPOs, you know, pay us for two or three years and then buy them out. Uh, well, that may be uh, something that has to be... Uh, considered for the lease accounting and for the revenue recognition, um, I guess uh, I don't see much of a problem there because, you're gonna, you know, whatever rents you collect, you're going to wind up uh, earning because you did actually rent it. Uh, so if you took your re-rent stuff and just gave it to somebody and he was going to keep it for more than 12 months, then there, then there might be an issue. But uh, from, the deal, that, from a dealer standpoint, if they're doing RPOs, uh, I mean, they, they typically set those things up with a certain depreciation in mind to know what the option is going to be at the right. end, right? Yeah, well, what I think they, what you need and what I use with my RPO transactions is I have a template that uh, tracks both the accounting and the uh, returns that you earn for every month that it's out on rent. So you know if uh, at the end of six months, gee, I collected six months of rent, I applied 80% of the rents to the uh, reduction of the cost of the equipment. You know, here's the purchase price now. The guy's going to pay for it after we reduce those uh, payments. And here's my book value because I've been depreciating it. So I get to see what my rental revenue is. You know, I get to see what my, uh, you know, sales price will be and what I'll earn in total in terms of the rents plus the proceeds from the sale to determine my ROI. So if you got something like that, uh, where you actually know what the heck's going on with the transaction, I think it'll be, uh, it pretty well spells out, uh, you know, what you're earning on a month-to-month basis for in terms of both rental revenue as well as uh, potential uh, sales revenue from selling it and uh, and what their gain will be because you got the uh, depreciation number moving right along with everything else. So it's a, a great template to have. Now, if you're not doing that and uh, you don't know, it's you know you come in and you got uh, you know 200 RPO contracts sitting on your books, and the auditor walks in and says, "What's that?" And uh, well, they pay me, and they got the option to uh, buy it out uh, at some point in time, and uh, you know we might charge them a premium on the rents uh, to encourage them to uh, convert to the, because we apply the rents to the sale, some percentage of the rents to the selling price, we want to encourage them to uh, convert, so we charge them more on the rents, so it looks like they're getting a deal on the, uh, you know, uh, fair market value on the equipment when they buy it, et cetera, et cetera, and the guy's going to look at you and go, hmm, Uh, (laughs) but if you've got this uh, template, you know, you got every deal laid out that way, Uh, if you show them one or two, then you got a pretty good idea of what it looks like and what you're doing and what kind of money you're making, and then he can determine um, if you're you know, recording things in the uh, proper period. Um, so, you know, uh, so let's take the, uh, the rental piece of it. You know, you're, 
you're renting it out every month, so it is hitting your books. Uh, and uh, but you're hitting your books for 100 percent of the rental. So for that month, then you're going to have to, you know, charge off that uh, 70 percent or 80 percent to to make sure that uh, that's going against the value of the equipment, and uh, you're reducing the value of the equipment. Uh, which, chases, which changes your gross profit you're going to earn on it if you sold it for that adjusted value, and it's going to change every month. And what I find with using that template, the longer you keep it out on RPO, uh, the lower your returns get every month. Um, so it's uh, it's going to be, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll be an interesting issue to see uh, see how you're doing that because the rents are going to hit the rent book. You know, you, so you so if you rent it for a hundred a month. You're going to have a hundred-month rental contract, rental revenue, um, right? And nothing else happens because you didn't book the, you know, the write down against the equipment. Well, you're picking up revenue that you're not going to have, so that might turn into an issue. So, hey, Gary, you mentioned earlier about uh, maintenance contracts and, and revenues. What about warranty issues that that come up, uh, especially in the first twelve months? Yeah, the warranty issues. Uh, Really, uh, you know, if you're really running a straight and narrow ship, uh, you should be estimating the uh, warranty claims and uh, what the cost is going to be on a uh, annual basis, um, and uh, keep that going and keep adjusting it. Uh, I remember working for a uh, lift truck dealer and a very young lady that was uh, really detail oriented, and uh, she had that. Uh, uh, she had two things. Number one, she had the warranty expense pretty well nailed down, just based on history. They knew what each you know each type of equipment or each model would produce in terms of uh, claims for the first two or three years, and she would accrue that stuff. And if it didn't hit the first or two years, it would you know eventually hit in the you know, second or third year, and she'd have her claims already booked and uh, you know spread out the uh, the claims uh, over the uh, period. Uh, mm-hmm. She did the same thing with the maintenance contracts because, you know, uh, on the maintenance contracts, you're collecting the maintenance fee over a 60-month period when, in fact, most of the expenses incurred against those fees are going to be in years four and five. And uh, so I assume that's going to be people with uh, maintenance contracts are going to have uh, have to explain why they're picking up the revenues in years one, two, and three when there's no uh, work to be done on those units until years four and five. So I, I expect if you have a big, you know, rental fleet with maintenance contracts, you're going to have to start, uh, you know, doing like that other company was doing and track that on a monthly, on an annual basis and adjust the, uh, revenues and the expenses, uh, accordingly. In other words, years one, two, and three, I may be only be able to pick up 10 or 15% of those revenues. I have to defer the rest. And then add, you know, and then use them up as I, as I incur the additional expenses later on in the uh, contract life. Um, right. And I think that's that's uh, that's what's going to happen. Did I answer? Obviously, your <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it just seems like there's going to be such an impact on on balance sheets and income statements uh, that it's going to be really, like you said earlier, uh, you're going to have ten accountants on staff. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's. Um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, tough to get through the first year, you know. And uh, you know, the sooner you start, the better off you are. And 
you know, get out all the banknotes, get out all the uh, leases, uh, get out the rent contracts, and then you have all these other ancillary type contracts uh, for IT and printers and all that stuff. And uh, I don't know if that's all peanuts. I'd be inclined to tell the auditors I'm not doing that because it's not enough money to, to you know to be worried about. But you, know, you, you have to get all that stuff and uh, put it together and uh, line it all up and say, okay, here it is. It's going to be here for another three years, and here's the 36 months of payments I'm going to incur. And if it's a capital lease, you're going to handle it one way. It's going to be like a note. It's going to have an interest component. It's going to have a, a, a principal component, and you're going to write down the uh, write the use asset as a, uh, over the term of the loan. Uh, down to a residual value that it will have at the end of the, uh, you know, the lease term. Um, and so it's, uh, that's, that's, that's what people are going to have to do. And once you do it and you take, a, you know, a, a shot at it, then you can see what your balance sheet is going to look like and, uh, you know, what you can do then to uh, explain it to the bank. And going back to your rental fleet, I use this all the time. I found out, gee, I got X number of dollars of equity in my book value. You know, the fleet's worth more than I have it on the books for. And uh, using my appraisal report, I go back and say, gee, you know, I added, here's my statements. It's been like this all this time. And guess what? The book value has always been understated. And uh, now I just added, you know, a million dollars of equity. of uh, liabilities for lease commitments on the books. Uh, but guess what? I got another million dollars of uh, fleet value here that wasn't reflected, and hopefully that will offset it. So you got to prepare your game plan to go in with the bank and explain what's going on and uh, you know, see if they truly are going to uh, ignore the changes as they, many of them say they are. I don't right. believe it. Yeah. You're right. As far as our... Day-to-day rental companies, do you, you think this will have any impact on uh, to, to our customers? Uh, yeah, I think uh, the customers, uh, the contractors, are going to get uh, inundated with, uh, especially this revenue recognition stuff. And, uh, and they also have a lot of leases for equipment. So they're going to be going nuts, and they're going to be looking for the vendors who are uh, behind the lease uh, documents to provide answers. And uh, I think the rental companies uh, are pretty safe. All they have to say is it's less than a 12-month uh, rental, so you're clean. Don't worry about it. Um, just make sure you charge it in the right period when the uh, work is being done, um, and they'll be okay. And, then, and you know, it's, it's everybody's billing monthly, uh it shouldn't get out of whack, and I think they'll they'll be okay. Uh, dealers doing rental, you know, with these long-term rentals, et cetera, you know, that's going to be a uh, a different story for the reasons we discussed uh, already. And uh, uh, but all the customers are going to have questions. They're going to be coming back and saying, "I need the breakdown between." They're going to ask for the interest rate used in the calculation of the lease, and nine times out of ten, the lessor doesn't. I don't know if they know that. Um, <laughs> right. It probably happens in the back office. Uh, but they want to know what the lease is, and a lot of people, they're not going to tell you. 
Uh, then you got to use your incremental borrowing rate to, to calculate that, the rate you'd pay if you went to the bank and said, I wanted to buy that piece of equipment, and uh, they'd give you a rate, and that's the one you have to use in the contract then. Um, uh, so they're going to ask about that, and they're going to ask about the maintenance portion. And, so let's, uh, let, let's just say if, we gonna, if we we're going to fast forward to 2021, and I take on a new line, and they want five years of financial uh, statements. What happens with when the change takes place? Well, I, if it was me, I would be doing two sets of books. I'd be doing one the way I did in the past, so they could see the trends as as the, using the ways I was accounting uh, for in the past, and then I'd do one with here's how they're going to look in the future, and I'd go back and redo the last five years uh, using these new rules to say, okay, here's how it's going to look. You know, if I was uh, comparing five years ago to today using the new rules and uh, at the same time, you know, you got leases coming off. You got a year, the big lease that comes off next year or the next 18 months. I might do a projection of a couple of sets of financials to show them what it's going to look like when that lease goes away. Um, and, uh, but uh, it's going to be the company. I don't know what they're going to do. You know, the, the, big, the big thing here with all of this is the cash flow doesn't change. All we're right. talking about is moving the, the chairs around on the Titanic. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, the cash flow is not going to change. That's the, that's the big thing. All we did is move the numbers around. Uh, I'm still making the lease payment every month. Uh, I'm still running my jobs that I'm doing my you know rentals the way I have in the past um, people are going to pay me I get the cash I pay the bills the net cash number is going to be the same whether I did the revenue recognition and the lease accounting or not it makes no difference if I do a cash basis financial statements the cash flows the same if I do a pool basis financial statement the cash flows the same so the only number that doesn't change is the is the cash flow now the EBITDA number um, and uh, operating result number, you know, it could in fact uh, change a little bit. Because um, now all of a sudden I took a lease payment I was writing off 100% of, and now I'm depreciating that at less than what I was paying. And I also have an interest component, uh, you know, that's going to reduce the cost of the cost of the unit that I'm depreciating, so to speak. Uh, so, you know, you could come out with uh, different bottom lines uh, with uh, both of these, uh, uh, you know, new gap statements implemented. Um, but when you get down to your cash flow statement, that's not going to change at all. It's all going to stay the same. It's, so, again, very- you know, if you, don't, if you don't go through the exercises and make that determination on what's going to change, uh, gross profits could change, uh, operating profit could change. Uh, net income could change. Uh, uh, EBITDA number could change. Because uh, right now, I mean, if I'm picking up all this interest on the deals, you know, interest expense, then I got more EBITDA I'm adding, adding on because I'm, I'm increasing the EBITDA calculation. So it's a, um, um, it's a, you got to go through it and see what it's going to do. <laughs> And Gary, if, if, uh, if I'm a branch manager, for example, for a, a major company, and uh, every year I've got to submit a budget, do you, I mean, yep. I see a lot of more complicated uh, 
budgets being put together. Would you agree? Uh, my budget, yes, yes, and yes, and no. I mean, the the uh, the guy doing the actual budget, uh, which is uh, primarily going to be uh, cash oriented, and you know, so to speak, um, probably can avoid a lot of this, but when it gets to the accounting department and people that have to put together the financials, uh, it could be a different issue. Uh, so if I'm sitting there and saying, uh, okay, what's my budget? Uh, let's see, I'm going to lease a new truck next June. Oh boy, okay, I'm going to lease a new truck next June. So what do I put in the budget? Do I put in the, you know, the, 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 the payment for the truck uh, for the new lease? I say, yeah, I do that. And then at the end of the year, I change it to uh, or a quarterly basis or whatever you want to do, change it to uh, reflect the uh, the lease accounting and the uh, uh, revenue recognition accounting. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, when you're doing the revenue recognition, you know, you're talking about analyzing and having knowledge about each segment of your agreements with people so that you match up the revenues and expenses for those sections when they're earned. And uh, they don't want you billing it ahead of time. They want to wait until the customer, so to speak, accepts the work for that portion of the contract, and then you can bill it. You can't bill it ahead of it. So you have billings over cost, like you have in a typical you know, construction company. Right. Uh, and the billings over cost, uh, you know, you might... Uh, what you're doing there is you you know you're picking it up so that it's not reflected in the uh, in the P and L. So, um, yeah, I say it's it's going to be tough. I well, you got to do your budget the way you normally do your budget. You've been right. doing it that way for 20 years. So let's see how it looks. Now let's see what we have to do to change it to see what uh, what you know. I'm not too I'm not not as worried about the lease uh, and adding uh, that uh, that the truck lease to the liabilities. I'm more concerned about doing my budgeting uh, to match up more of the revenue recognition changes that you may have to, you know, put up with. And you won't know that until you go through the process. So, and Gary, me, I presume that I the supplies uh, to large and small companies alike? Uh, uh, smaller companies, I think they have some outs, but they have to be pretty small. Um, um, I don't, uh, I'm trying to remember right now. I don't think so. I got some notes here I can look, but I think most people are going to be uh, the revenue recognition. Uh, let's see. This could put a tremendous burden on a small company for sure. <laughs> yes. Never stopped them before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that I think there is something that's uh, you know a small, you know, certain below a certain number that you don't have to. Uh, to them, but I'm not sure. Uh, right. People can ask their accountant, and they'll they'll, they'll figure it out. But, Gary, you uh, see some other issues I, that are going to be affected by all these changes. I didn't hear the first part. Do, do you see some other issues uh, that are going to be affected with these changes, besides the ones that we that we've talked about? Oh, I think. Uh, um. Yeah, the leader, we got the leverage that's going to be required. This is going to be required for your 19 financials, except they might extend it for a, a year. 
we discussed that the disclosure requirements are nuts. I mean, I read them five times. I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> um, what I would do with these things is I would go and get the financial statements from the public rental companies and see what they're doing. Uh, because they all follow the AIA rental metrics uh, uh, methods to uh, report their earnings, et cetera. And I would see what they're going to do. There's going to have to be a special footnote in there for all these changes. So I would go through and see what they're doing and then uh, take a look at uh, what kind of presentation they're making to account for the uh, changes. And if, uh, so I know, for example, that the public rental companies, you know, I'll use these ARA rental metrics. In fact, if you look at United Rentals Financials, the first line in there says we follow the ARA rental metrics. Uh, for you know, uh, for their certain statistics that they're discussing in the report. Um, so if you know that, and you know what changes they're making, and you kind of follow the same methods, you know, like the post billing, not the post, but yeah, the post billing, and uh, et cetera, uh, then um, then uh, you should be in uh, pretty good shape by looking and seeing what they're doing. At least you got a rough idea on what's uh, you know what's going to happen. Uh, I don't see any. Uh, I would. Buy a share of United Rentals and uh, get their reports so you uh, <laughs> see what's going on. Or ask your broker; he'll send them to you. I mean, um, you think people will uh, think people will second guess adding to their fleets at this point until they understand? It uh, well, I was to me, I do that anyhow. Um, I wrote a uh, article last night, and uh, after I wrote it, I sat there, stared at it, and I said, "Geez, this is really." interesting from a rental standpoint is the uh, fixed cost analysis and the break-even uh-huh. analysis and, uh, you know, how much more flexibility you have with your company in terms of downturns, et cetera, when you have lower fixed costs. And, uh, yeah, it was really uh, an interesting exercise I went through. And I'm sitting there, in fact, when I went to work today, I went and started taking a look at, uh, you know, what would qualify as fixed or uh, variable costs and uh yeah it's kind of interesting what do you think about uh, used equipment prices pardon what do you think about used equipment pricing and what some of these new rules are going to do to the the book Uh, value which is typically the basis well i think the um i think uh you know might be slowing down a little bit uh that being the case i don't want to wind up with uh, 2008 2009 again uh so if it was me uh, I'm making the decisions. I'm going to take a hard look at uh, what I've got and see if I can, you know, stretch another year out of what I have and uh, only buy what I absolutely 100% not necessary to buy. Um, right now, the uh, from what I hear and what I see talking to people, the equipment, used equipment prices are kind of holding up. Uh, even looking at the Roush reports, uh, they, they're holding up. Uh, but who knows for how long? So if I had uh, my druthers, I'd get my fleet appraised, get my liquidation value, fair market value numbers, and uh, clean house with whatever I didn't want, and uh, try and get that LLV or fair market value number. And normally, if you do that, you'll make a you know decent uh, gross profit margin on the transaction. Um, so I don't know if I want to buy a lot uh, going into next year and take on the additional debt, number one, and number two, uh, 
you know, go through the uh, uh, adding adding the uh, lease accounting debt on on top of that, and you know, seeing where you're at, and hoping that the bank doesn't have a fifth when they see the uh, adjusted financials. So, yeah, I'd uh, I'd uh, tone it down a little bit and you know, see what's uh, you know, see what's going on before. Uh, I started buying a lot of stuff. I, what I'm seeing is is that there's a. Uh, it seems like uh, certain areas, certain types of equipment, that the uh, there's enough in the in the areas now in the in the, in the uh, cities uh, where there aren't any more required. It almost looks like we tapped out some of those lines, and uh, you know the rentals uh, slow down, and uh, you know. People aren't uh, renting as many as they used to because there's so many of them in the field that uh, you know they can get them from anybody. So right. I think it's uh, you know slowing down a little bit. What is uh, what is your general opinion about the economy in the in the next couple of years? I know that's kind of a uh, a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I'm still hurting from 08 09. So uh, um, I don't want to see another one of those, and that's why I'm saying what I'm saying, and I've been preaching it for a long time to the contractors of the world that, uh, you know, you really need all that stuff that you own and have in your yard painted pink with your name on it. I mean, I don't, you don't need that stuff unless, if you can't get it in a rental yard, then maybe you need it, And but if you're not using it 65% of the days, billable days, you know, then it's not paying for itself. So... Um, uh, it's uh, it's going to slow down. Uh, Got to take care of the, the fleet additions. Uh, slow those down. Decrease your fixed cost. Increase your flexibility. Your financial flexibility going forward. Uh, and there's new lines coming into the market. I keep hearing about these new lines coming in from China. Uh, seen some of the equipment. It looks good. Stuff's going to be cheaper. So I think that's going to impact the used prices too. So. Yeah. If I could uh, have my druthers, I'd say uh, get the appraisal, get your decide what you want to get rid of, get rid of it now before it hits the fan, and uh, take a hard look at what you're going to buy next year because you're going to be stuck with it for the next uh, four or five years on a note and uh, at a time when that's only going to increce your fixed cost and you, when you don't yeah. want it to. So You, know, you mentioned a I moment ago about the uh, new lines coming in. Don't you think it's going to take a couple of years for people to really get a true uh, value on that type of equipment if it's a new line coming in and have some experience in the marketplace? Well, I think the uh, what the what the what the new line from what I hear with the new lines they took them to every place else but the U.S. first. So it's not like they're coming off the uh, product line uh, for the first time today and they're going to wind up in the U.S. tomorrow. These things have been to South America, they've been to Europe, they've been to Asia, they've been used in a lot of places, and they've been, uh, you know, adjusted accordingly as, uh, you know, problems arose or things popped up, and everybody's, you know, fixing them. So I've seen a couple of them that came in, uh, some scissors, and they work fine, and I got no complaints, and everybody likes them. So, and they're going to be a lot cheaper than what I'm you know, what you're going to pay for another new one. Um, so it's, uh, I think once they get here, and if the pricing is, uh, you know, significantly lower, um, I think, uh, you know, they'll, they'll start uh, getting some market, and it's going to drive down the used value on the, 
on the current equipment in the field. So, right. But, right. That's, yeah. you know, but that could take a couple of years. You know. um, the other thing with the, with the rental companies, I think they should be doing, and if they're not, they should look at it uh, to uh, sell more maintenance. Uh, and, you know, the margins are great. Uh, you really don't have any capital requirements because you got the text there already. Uh, you got the shop to do the work. All you got to do is find somebody to go out and sell it, and uh, you know, you know, to bring it in and uh, have somebody do a write-up on it to determine what it's going to need and come up with a price, and then uh, make sure you get it done within the hours allotted. Uh, but I think uh, that's a good uh, good idea for a lot of people is to you know get into the uh, to the maintenance business and also you know prepare some kind of a recession plan for themselves so in case things do, well, if you had a 20-30% reduction in the top line, what happens? And, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to work with it if you got it all laid out ahead of time rather than, uh, you know, waiting until, uh, you know, something happens and uh, your hair's on fire and you're trying to get uh, get things done. Yeah, and unfortunately, people happen uh, first and foremost, unfortunately. <laughs> But mm-hmm. let me ask you. Let me ask you this yeah. about the maintenance agreement, just so that I understand. If if somebody rents something from me for let's say a month, typically mm-hmm. the rental company is going to going to maintain it anyway. Or are you saying that there should be an extra charge if you want us to do X Y Z while you have it out on rent? Well, no. Uh, I'm talking about the the the, the customer owned equipment. Okay. You know, they've got okay. the equipment, and I think you know most of the techs have. Uh, uh, the ability to fix almost most of most of the construction equipment, or they know what they can do and what they can't do. Uh, the point is, you know, during the slow season, you know, like in the north, I got from January uh, through uh, April, where I could be doing a hell of a lot of work on uh, on other people's machines, and uh, not only can I fix them because I got very qualified techs, and I got the shop to do it in, and I got the equipment to do it with. And my parts pricing is uh, very competitive because I buy a lot of parts. And if I'm fixing the things I rent uh, for somebody else, then, you know, they take advantage of my uh, parts pricing. Yeah, um, yeah so it, uh, it works out. And, you know, typical margins on uh, the uh, maintenance work is, you know, 65% for the labor and probably 35% on the, uh, on the parts. Right. Which is which is probably better than your rental margin. So yeah. here we're, uh, we're we're coming to an end here, and I really want to thank you uh, for being on the show. And uh, I know you as well as I do some consulting along the way. So how do people get in touch with you if they'd like to discuss some of these issues further with you? Oh, I you know uh, Gary Bartecki, and I'm at uh, uh, G Bartecki at Comcast.net. Nothing fancy. Um, easy to find. And uh, my phone number is 708-347-9109. And uh, be glad to talk to anybody that's got uh, issues. And uh, I'm sure we could help you out. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me again today on on the show. I'm sure there are a lot of accountants uh, whose phones will be ringing in the next 24 to 48 hours. So thank you again for being here. I can only hope, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, as we come to a close, uh, if you want to reach me, it's rental equip talk radio at gmail.com or uh, call me or text me at 504-615-0540. And as always, you can listen on demand. And 
I hope some of the issues discussed today either helped or provoked some questions for the success of, of your business along the way. Uh, next week, uh, open forum again with some more interesting ideas and views. And if you'd like to be a guest, suggest a guest, advertise, or have a question, need a guest speaker, business consultant, buy or sell a business, or even finance, I can help you in the right direction. Today's quote, if money is your hope for independence, you'll never have it. The only real security that a man will have in this world is a reserve of knowledge, experience, and ability. So said by Henry Ford. So, Gary, again, thank you for being with me today and and hope we cross paths again real soon. Thank you. Okay. Uh, It's been my honor to spend this time with you. I'm Donald Charbonnet, your host and the diehard of the rental industry, signing off. And remember, always make time for the things that make you happy to be alive. Safe renting and have a good week. That's it. Back to you. Thank you for tuning into Rental Equip Talk Radio. Be sure to join your host, Donald Charbonnet, next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.